I'd like to thank Don Cowart for putting together those video tributes that we saw today. Don, excellent job, Don Cowart. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them please to 1 Peter chapter 4. Just one verse for us today. As we're celebrating freedom and liberty, our nation, those who have defended our nation. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. The title of our message is America's Most Feared Soldiers. The United States of America's Most Feared Soldiers. And Peter, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church of his day, is writing to us this morning. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? The time has arrived. The time is now. The time has come. The time is today for judgment to begin at the house of God. The year was 1776. And on paper, it looked like a colossal mismatch. Many of you have witnessed mismatches in your time. Super Bowl III, the New York Jets were supposed to be a mismatch against the Baltimore Colts. 18-point underdogs for a Super Bowl. We remember David and Goliath. The odds makers in Vegas weren't even taking bets on that. The human tank against a shepherd boy. Mismatch. Years ago, the United States hockey team against the Russian hockey team. Absolutely supposed to be a mismatch. The Russians do anything well, they play hockey. And yet, we know the outcome. Well, this was a mismatch. On paper, this was a mismatch. In one corner was the American Army, a ragtag bunch of rookies, lacking in soldiers, weapons, supplies, and finances. Most of these weren't even soldiers that made up the American Army. They were farmers and shopkeepers and craftsmen who gave up their trades and their occupations to serve in our fledging army. Most of them had very little experience in combat and no military strategy. The American army was in one corner in 1776, and the other corner was the British army. 
a par excellence, world-class war machine. The British Army had among its soldiers the finest in the world. They had the state-of-the-art weaponry of that day. They had unlimited finances and resources from the crown of England. Most every one of the British soldiers were professional soldiers, schooled in warfare, experienced in combat. Now, if you and I were taking wagers in 1776, we would have put our money on the British. But in one of the greatest upsets in history, the American Bluecoats defeated the British Redcoats, and America gained its independence. How did we do it? How did the Bluecoats beat the Redcoats? Chance? No. Luck? No. Accident? No. Fate? No. The blue coats beat the red coats because the blue coats had something the red coats didn't have. And that was the black coats. Better said, the black robes. The black robes. The black robes were pastors in that day. In that day, pastors didn't wear suits and ties. They wore black robes. And the pastors of America stepped up to the plate. The Christians of America stepped up to the plate as they have never perhaps ever done before. And they prayed for God's intervention to birth this nation. They claim Jeremiah 33, 3, call upon the Lord and he will answer you and he will come and show you things you could never imagine and do for you things you could never do. They invited the omniscient, omnipotent God of heaven into the affairs of America. And with passion they prayed and God heard. With passion they thundered from the pulpits. And the word of God, the living word and the written word was honored. Preachers like Jonathan Mayhew, John Witherspoon, Samuel Cooper, Peter Mullenberg were just among a few among hundreds of pastors who thundered in American pulpits and cried out for righteousness, and who led their congregations in some of the most intense prayer meetings that's ever been and may ever will be. In the early days, these American preachers were like the prophets of Israel. God used the prophets of Israel to bring back a nation and God used these American preachers to birth a nation. In many ways, they were our Isaiahs and our Ezekiels and our Jeremiahs and our Daniels. And may I say to you, though history books won't teach you this, America was born and America was preserved and America was protected because of the prayers of God's people.
and the thunder that came out of the pulpits of America in that day. My people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. Today, we're on the verge of celebrating America's 239th birthday. And America's in trouble. And the odds makers are already laying the wagers that we're gone. There's no hope. America's going to go the way of all the other great nations and empires in history. We're headed to the cemetery. That's what they're saying. And I guess they have a right to say so. Our vicious enemies are at the gates. Some would say they're already in. Our brave military, our police officers are doing the best they can to protect us, just like you did. But they can't. What we're facing is greater than all of us. America needs the help, once again, of preachers. America, once again, needs the help of God's people. If America's to be saved. I don't believe in my lifetime I have ever seen Satan assemble what he has assembled to do this nation in. I've never seen as many barbarians and pagans and terrorists assembled by the powers of darkness to put the light out of America. America's down, but America's not out. America can rise up again. America can still win this fight. How? You and I. You and I. You and I putting on the black robes. You and I putting on the black coats. You and I becoming the prayer warriors that ring the bells of heaven and get God's attention. You and I proclaiming righteousness as we live righteously. You say, but I'm not a priest. Oh, you're not? It's not what the Bible says. In the New Covenant, the Bible clearly says that when God saves us, He not only makes us sons and daughters of His, but He makes us priests and prophets. If you're a born-again child of God, if you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb and clothed in the robe of righteousness, you indeed are a priest. You indeed have a black robe, a black coat, if you will. And we can make the difference. We can save this nation. 
just as 239 years ago another group of our fellow Americans saved this nation. We can't do that. What must we do? The answer is so simple, yet so profound. So profound, but yet so simple. We must be holy. We must be holy. God doesn't choose sides. God is holy. And if you want God on your side, you will come to his side. He doesn't move to us, we move to him. And he's holy. He's not just one time holy. He's not just two time holy. He's thrice holy. Isaiah the prophet who saw God. The only words he could get out of his mouth was holy, holy, holy. Holy is God the Father. Holy is God the Son. Holy is God the Holy Spirit. Holy is the Trinity. And if we claim to be Christians, then we must not only proclaim righteousness and holiness, we must live it. The time for hypocrisy and carnality in the church is over. The time for loose living among God's people is over. Church today has made a choice to get as close to sin as it can get and still be called a church. How much alcohol can we drink and still be within the limits of God's law? How much pot can we smoke and still be called Christians? How much fornicating can we do and still say that we're born again? How many, much profanity and vulgarity can we spit out of our mouths and still walk with God? How much hateful prejudice and jealousy can we have within us and still call ourselves believers? Instead of moving to God in holiness and righteousness, We try to sway God over to us as we walk by him tipping our hat, waving our hand, and prancing right on by. We're prideful, we're arrogant. We believe we're doing God a favor just to show up at church. Listen to me. If something doesn't change, I tell you, in another decade, there will not be any more services like this. There will not be any more churches like this. And I wonder with you if, if there will be a country like this. Do you not understand the sand and the hourglass of time is about run out? And if the black-robed Americans like you and I do not go to our knees and call upon the Lord and invite him into this country, if we do not go to his side in holiness and righteousness, there will be no country. 
We must be holy. And the Baptist churches of our day, they don't say nothing about it anymore. We say, well, if you're holy, you must be part of the holiness denomination. No, anybody who claims the name of Jesus should be holy. And yet we want to get as close to sin as we can get without going over the edge. I predict to you within the next five years we will have pot in the churches. As the law of the land says it's okay to smoke pot, there will be pot smoking in churches. Just like churches are now serving liquor and beer. There will be there. And it's coming to Baptist churches who once stood for something but now stand for very little. We must be holy. Secondly, we must humble ourselves and see there is no hope for this country without God. America, the church of Jesus Christ has been in bed too long with political parties who have promised to do us right and they don't. If the church is going to be the voice of conscience for America, it cannot be sleeping with the Democrats or the Republicans. It has to be neutral. It has to be able to speak to both parties where they'll listen to us. Because the Democrats aren't going to save America. The Republicans are not going to save America. Technology's not going to save America. Weaponry's not going to save America. Brave men and women just like these, God bless them, but they can't save America. America's only hope is a living God. He's the only hope. If we don't turn and make God our friend again, He will become our enemy. He does not play neutrality. If you're not for him, you're against him. And if he's not for you, he's against you. We must understand, ladies and gentlemen, we all nod our head, but do you really understand the only cure for this disease that's going to strike America down is Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we must battle the enemies of America on our knees. We must bring God into the battle. The blue coats of America cannot fight the red coats of Satan. We must bring in the black coats. We black coats must get on our knees and bring God into this. Because we are battling enemies we can't defeat. We're battling secular progressives and activist judges and fanatical terrorists and antichrist politicians and race baiters and militant perverts and all of the ilk that go with them. And they're not intimidated by our debates. They're not intimidated by our voting because they'll undo what we vote for through activist judges. 
They're not intimidated by church buildings. In fact, they're going to start coming after the church very soon. The only thing they will be intimidated by is by the living God who comes in and faces off against them and neutralizes and defeats them and sends them running with their tail but tucked between their legs. That's where our hope is. But let's be serious. How many of you will remember one word I've said ten minutes after you leave this service? For most of us, we'll leave this place and say, that's a great service. Good choir music, pastor gave a pretty good message, got out on time, veterans were honored. Now let's go eat. Let's go rest. Let's go to the pool. Let's get ready for tomorrow. The barbarians are at the gate. The pagans are at inside the city. And I'm being funny, but I'm being serious. Will we be holy tomorrow? The holiness that we amened about just a moment ago. Will we believe tomorrow that God is our only hope, just like we amened it just a minute ago? Will we go to our knees? And pray like we all just said we know we need to do tomorrow. Will we? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we're the same Americans that they were 239 years ago. I wonder if we're not just a little soft a little spoiled by comfort and convenience. We don't understand what General MacArthur spoke of in duty, honor, and sacrifice. Those are foreign words to us. When I was young, I thought I could change the world. I soon learned I couldn't. When I got a little older, I kind of thought, well, maybe I can change the country. But I couldn't. A little later, I lowered my sights. Maybe I can change the church. But I couldn't. Not so many years ago, I said, well, maybe I can change my home. And I couldn't. Now today, I stand before you knowing the only thing I can change is me. I can't change this world, and neither can you. 
I can't change this country, and neither can you. I can't change this church we call Miles Road Baptist Church, neither can you. I can't change my family, but I can change me. And I've discovered something of late as I close. If I change me, I can change the other things. Because I'm the patriarch of my home. I'm the pastor of this church. I'm a patriot of this nation. I'm a citizen of this world. If I can keep my light burning, I can bring that light into those things. If I can keep my salt savory, I can bring my salt into that decay. As long as I have a light, there won't be complete darkness. As long as I've got just a little grain of salt, there cannot be consummate decay. And you know something? That's true for you. And I'm kind of thinking maybe if we all put together our light bulbs, we could make a big light. And if we put all of our grains of salt together, we could make a big bag. And we could make a difference. But it begins with you and me wanting to do that question is, do we really want to do it? Do we really care about our children and our grandchildren and what they're going to get? You see, I'm challenging our old people particularly. You say, who's old? Well, if it, your phone's ringing, you answer it. <laughs> I've been around enough politicians to know how to get out of that one. But I'll be honest with you, at my age and the age of some of you, we can coast this thing out. We really can. I mean, even worst case scenario, we, we can milk this thing for another few years. Then we'll go to heaven. But I think that's being a little selfish, don't you think? Aren't we being selfish if we allow our children to have a mess that we've done nothing to help them try to correct? Or our grandchildren? So I'm asking it start with our senior citizens. The most important part of any church is the senior citizens. I know many don't want you. I want you to know we'll take you and we'll take ten of you. We'll take as many of you as we can get because I believe you are what built churches and what built America. And I believe you have one more fight in you. I believe you have one more building project in you. And I want you to join me. And I want all of us to come together. And this morning, I want us to confess our sins. I don't want us to play fast and loose anymore with God's holiness. I want us to be a people that are right with God, worthy of walking with Him. I want us today to understand that we're the only hope of this country. We can sit back here and shake our head and say, I've heard all this preaching before. I'm telling you, in 10 years from now, if something doesn't change because of the black robes of America standing up, 
this country will cease to be. Or if it is, it'll be just another third world nation swallowed by debt and consumed by ineptness and immorality. We must pray. Would you join me? Will I join you in saving America? Heads are bowed and all.